Welcome to Deal Flow, Ryan Ray here. Uh, first episode uh, with a man I've known for almost a year now, I guess. Josh, we've known each other for about a year now. Um, good to have you on the inaugural show. Maybe do a quick 30-second introduction of who you are, what you do, and then we'll get into it. Yeah, sure. Ryan, thanks for having me, and I think you're right. It's been maybe a little over a year now, and um, I am the co-founder of a real estate investment company called Oaktio Capital Partners. We are developers of Class A industrial space uh, on the Texas-Mexico border and also in the Central Texas region, but we also buy um, existing assets and do some land entitlement work. With really with a geographic focus on um, the Austin San Antonio MSAs and then the Texas border markets. All right, so let's unpack Class A. What does that mean for people who aren't familiar with that term? Yeah, uh, that means sort of brand new construction of tilt wall buildings. Typically, you're going to have at least 28 foot clear. I mean that that's trending up. Where we are, the sub we're building right now is 36 foot clear. Um, you're going to have ample truck court parking, so a lot of extra staging. Our, our truck courts are 180 feet wide. Um, we do a real, rear load product is what we're building right now. So um, there's kind of employee or uh, worker parking on the front side of the building, as well as kind of a little bit of um, a retail feel to that entrance that gives it an office vibe. And then um, the, the docks are on the back. So. That, those are those are the big things I'd consider, and like really like the quality of the finish is an important part. Where you're just thinking about driving a bunch of uh, power operated forklifts around all day. Okay, and if I were to get on Twitter right now, Twitter would tell me the sky's falling, commercial real estate crash is coming, and yet you're going after Class A stuff, which sounds to be on the top end. You're not going after the, the slums, so <laughs> why that? Why now? Yeah, well, we, I guess we do two different things, right? So we build um, the market that we're building in is one where the the supply and demand imbalance is pretty pretty high. Um, so there's functionally zero percent um, vacancy of this kind of class A space that we're talking about. Um, and we ju we just delivered one of these buildings that is almost fully leased now. Um, hopefully, have have it fully inked and 100 percent leased the next week or so here and have requirements for, you know, above that on kind of on our radar, no one else is building in that market. So, um, and then I think question about like class a today, it's, you know, if someone's capital structure is in a, is in a bad spot and they're, and their building is vacant, let's say in San Antonio or Austin and they're on a construction loan, like they might be incentivized to just sell something, um, now so that they can get off a personal guarantee or get off that construction loan and maybe just maybe just return equity um, and pay down the debt that they have um, rather than kind of continue to incur carry costs. And that that's really deal specific. I think a lot of the people that do that kind of development are really well capitalized and you're not necessarily going to see a ton of opportunity in that space. But um, for you know the existing single tenant stuff that you and I've worked on a lot where maybe it's say a lease back or maybe it's a um, or maybe it's a vacant building. We really try to target stuff that is well located that needs some meaningful level of capital investment, or where where my sales price, my purchase price, 
is going to be more attractive than the type of bank financing they could get if they were trying to refinance it with their business um, as the tenant. Yeah, it, that's what makes it hard, it seems, when you look at, you know, whether it's buying a business, commercial real estate, whatever it might be, is the tendency to flatten out everyone's situation, right? So there's going to be people who have good situations, bad situations, the unicorns. So you you have to start with kind of a thesis, and then you got to find people who fit that thesis. So you also mentioned the Texas-Mexico border. What also got you interested there? Because that's another, that's another spot if you were to turn on the news, they'd say, oh, man. You don't want to go here. And so you guys are saying, no, 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 we, we want to go here. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a couple of different pieces there. I think one of them is that the, the USMCA, which is a, kind of the re-up of NAFTA, um, I don't think it's fully appreciated by a lot of individuals. Um, the level to which existing supply chains and auto parts and like some small, some small manufacturing and then small electronics kind of was already already in place and, and some to some degree and is now if you want to qualify for tariffs that um make make that stuff kind of duty free or tariff free um you have to have a much higher threshold of your product built in Canada the US or in Mexico and so what we're seeing is a lot of people adding on to their existing supply chain and expanding that so that a part that might have been built in Vietnam or in China um, and then shipped over is now getting built in, um, in, in northern Mexico. And that that threshold sort of is continuing to ratchet up. Another another piece about that that's interesting is like during the first Trump administration, um, the the discourse between the two countries prior to getting the USMCA done um, really sort of gave a lot of people pause about doing work down there. But uh, again, a lot of, there's already a lot of supply chain there. It's growing right now because of some stuff that has changed, which is why we're really interested in it. Um, but, but it was already there. And so I think we, we just feel like it, it's underserved from a developer standpoint and um is going to continue to grow for a lot of different reasons that um, some of them are, are pretty political, um, but some of them are also just demographic. Like that part of South Texas, that part of Northern Mexico has a lot of its own ecosystem kind of building already. You know, there's obviously challenges both with immigration and with, um, you know, kind of crime on particularly on the Mexico side. But I think a lot of that, um, get sensationalized uh in the media as well if you go i mean if you go down there and spend time um in mccallan or Fall or laredo or brownsville or El paso um it's not going to match what you might imagine on um, if you're if you're just watching fox news or cnn you know it's it's interesting because I, I was thinking about that i guess this morning or yesterday about you know if you think about a, a rough area you go man no one would live there and yet people live there and they work there and you go, well, they can't get out. It's like, well, no, some people could get out. Some people just choose different lifestyle. And it kind of goes back to that thing I said a minute ago. It, it seems when you're, when you're looking at generating deals or trying to get a thesis and understand it, it's really hard to step outside of what you might do yeah, uh, and then, and then figure out what someone else might do. And then how do you capitalize and make a deal happen in that space? Well, yeah. And to your point, I don't, I don't think you can flatten everyone's situation. I, we feel like understanding what, a, a property owner that we're trying to work with is um, interested in achieving is one of the things that 
can help us lead to better outcomes. Um, but it's, it, frankly, it's also like, there's this, there's a little bit of friction between like developing like a very clear process where this is what you, you know, this is how you analyze something and this is what you'll do versus, you know, looking at anything that looks interesting within a scope and then kind of trying to make it work with that, you know, individual or idiosyncratic owner. I think what we, what we've tried to give ourselves guardrails around so that we can, can make that manageable is within a product type, within a geography and with a couple of size constraints. And so then we've, we've sort of defined the pool of opportunities that, that we have a view on. And then we can kind of look at um, each one of those individual things that we've kind of, it's, it's past this initial screening and now we can talk to the individual owner to see if there's a way to maybe do something creative. And do you see yourself in this same part of commercial real estate five years, 10 years from now, or is this a short, I say, I say short-term thesis, insert term, yeah. uh, short-term thesis that you go, now is the time where do you go, no, 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 20, 30, 40 years from now, this is where we want to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think we'll be in this for the rest of our careers. I think the way that um, Nick, the way that Nick, my business partner and I have thought about it is that this is a, meaningful long-term structural trend and change. Um, specifically, there's going to be continued manufacturing in Central and South Texas. Um, the demographics in those places are going to continue to expand with the population and having a young working populace um, that, that makes it competitive for those types of relocations um, and expansions and kind of new companies. Um, it's possible that you know we'll expand into other stuff other than what we do right now, but I do think that this is kind of a cornerstone of of what we're focused on for the next 25 years and so why then texas i'm, I'm t- i talked to you a few weeks ago i said hey what about florida and you said no <laughs> i don't want florida yeah. uh, why why is texas so unique um man that's a that's a big long question to try to answer quickly but i will say i think at a high level, like I, we feel like Texas is where a lot of different people can still really achieve kind of like the quote unquote American dream. I think you can live a really high quality life. You can own your house. You can, you know, find ample opportunity for employment if you're willing to work hard. Um, and, and, you know, being in Texas, like I've, I spent a lot of time on the West Coast. I've spent a lot of time in the Northeast. I'm talking to you from Brooklyn right now. You know, it's a, uh people people want to do work and people want to work with you in Texas pretty much regardless of creed or uh race or religion it's just you know if you're if you're pretty upfront and hardworking in Texas people want to work so I think that that aspect of it we think gives it kind of a special sauce and not that there aren't other places in the US that have that but we also have to give ourselves constraints and think about where we have um you know, where we have advantages and can, and can be really focused. Yeah. And I don't know, I lived in Louisiana growing up and I've been in Texas for almost seven years now, lived here a year uh, after I first got married. The, the thing that I've noticed is, is that the, when I, when I was where I came from talking about entrepreneurial ideas or whatever, wasn't necessarily encouraged the same way it is in Texas. There's a, in Texas, you go, Hey, I want to do this. And almost always they go either I've done that or my buddy's done that or my cousin's done that. And it just kind of feels a lot more like, Hey, let's go get it. We, we lived in a neighborhood. We moved over here 
there was 150 private planes in the neighborhood. Now I'm not no millionaire. Like, like it was just, there's a hundred, they had a hundred houses with airport or uh, hangars and 150 private planes in this neighborhood. It was mainly retirement people. Yeah. yeah. There, I, there wasn't 150 people in Northeast Louisiana that owned planes, <laughs> you know, but, but it, it goes to that mindset and that, that really impacts the culture more than people think about. Totally. Totally. And yeah, I guess also, yeah. So, so some places it's nice to be able to get away from and get back to easily as well. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, just to, you know, to have the mindset to buy a plane is just uh, my uncle had one, but you know, he was the only guy I knew that had one, I think back in back there. So anyways, it's just, there was a different mindset. And then to your point about living, what my Amber alerts going off here, sorry. Um, up to your point about living is there is a substantial cost of living. That's, you know, where I'm at just South of Fort Worth that's going up. Um, but relative to like LA and probably where you're at in Brooklyn, it's still a lot cheaper, it seems. So, and there's a lot of space down here, obviously, in Texas. So, I guess part of your thesis is that there's a lot of room to grow for people to move further. Yeah. Out. Yeah. And I think so. I've, I've been fortunate to work in, in a bunch of different markets. Like, I've done stuff in Atlanta, I've done stuff in Seattle and Portland, um, worked in you know, the Carolinas and Florida. Nashville. I think one of the things about San Antonio and Austin in particular is like it's those those two markets are still really <laughs> geographically like relatively small compared to like the other cities in the top 15 or top 20 MSAs that they get compared to. Um, there's a lot of room for those cities to just have an internal growth that that has really little to do with a lot of outside stuff and just people coming there and starting localized businesses. And then you factor in on top of that, um, some of the national range that the region has for, for tech employment and manufacturing employment. And it, it starts to just be kind of in our mind, one of the more compelling or most compelling kind of regions to be focused on for the next 20, 25 years. So. You mentioned political stuff. Does does that factor in? Do you do you get concerned again? Going back to the kind of the Twitter Twitter sphere, you see like, oh, this guy wins, this guy wins, this person wins. Does that does that does that keep you up at night? What keeps you up at night? Maybe a better way to ask that, as far as uh, where you're at in the real estate space. I mean, like actively building a building right now. Like construction accidents keep me up at night. But it's something like, like that. That's the first thing that comes to mind. I don't, you know, we want the folks we work with to be safe. Um, I, I've built a lot of multifamily in my career. And, you know, when I was, when we were doing the, when I was doing that and like their you know, apartment fire happened with a, with a wood frame building or something like that, that that's, I think that's kind of the worst nightmare to think about. We're not building anything like that right now, but so, I don't know if you've seen someone like tilt up a concrete tilt wall, but it's, there's a moment there that's terrifying. Um, and so like, that's, kind of the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, there is, we watch interest rates and we watch cap rates and we we watch stuff like that. We think we've made some decisions and try to make decisions that can, can be good regardless of the direction that those go. Um, but we're certainly not immune to, to those things. So I, you know, I think that's, that's the thing that, that we think about. I, uh, you know, when I was, when I was, in Texas, I think I was considered relatively liberal when I've lived everywhere else on a coast. I think I've been considered pretty conservative. So I, I don't, you know, I think there's bad stuff about both parties and we've got a, a lot of work to do 
from that political spectrum, but I think um, I I'm encouraged by the you know I'm encouraged by Texas's like the the people of Texas and the willingness to like at a at a local level try to find you know elegant solutions. So I don't I don't know that that keeps me up at night so much as um, you know it's also one of those things that I don't have any control over. So I'm trying to insulate myself from that as much as possible and make decisions that that won't make. Um, won't be impacted by that, and you know, unless everything's impacted by that. Right. It's interesting because it is, you know, like go back to COVID. There's literally nothing anyone could have done to change anything about that, and it came and it happened. Like, when you could have predicted in 2018 that that was going, the world was going to shut down. Um, but you could have worried about something like that in 2018, and it would have done you no good, really, because you you would have known, you know, and so. There is a mind, there is something to the mindset of to get things done to move forward. Um, you can turn on Fox or CNN or whatever it is or Twitter and, and get caught up in all the hysteria. And then, if you were to probably track all the things that are wrong, people predict are going to happen, and how much progress you could have made if you just focus on that, you'd probably be a lot better off. Yeah, totally. I think that uh, just staying focused on like the the decisions on the things that we've made a decision to focus on and like grind on that and not get kind of shiny object syndrome is one of my personal challenges because I'm interested in a lot of different stuff. So I'm like, oh, this, you know, this seems interesting. Like, why, why shouldn't we go try to buy offices in San Francisco? Because there's probably really good opportunity there right now. Right. But like that, we don't have the same edge or the insight that we think we do in San Francisco um, that we, we do in Texas. So don't, don't spend time doing it. (laughs) Five years from now, we're talking about commercial real estate. What what's happened? What's changed? What's what are we saying? I think a lot of syndicators in the multifamily space and some of the industrial space don't exist anymore. Um, the the way that folks could underwrite bridge loans and some of the stuff that happened or it has happened there, I think it it's gonna be kind of a continual slow bleed, and I think it'll probably be a lot worse the first part of next year than it has been. Elsewise, I think that's uh, I've personally heard about some different people that are um, different, I should say firms that are in in really kind of upside down positions and are trying to figure out how to either sell assets to pay down the debt that they have and just get out or um, get foreclosed on or get recapped. Um, If you're getting recapped, you're basically getting kind of a hope note, you know, someone's Someone's coming in and recapping and taking over management, maybe, and like you have some back end if if things go just like swimmingly, um, you know, maybe you see a check at the end of the day, but you're not insolvent theoretically. You've, you know, you kind of pre- preserved or um, kicked the can down the road. But I don't. Um, I think I think that'll have changed a lot. I think um, when I first started, I, I got into real estate in, in 2010, um, so I didn't sort of I wasn't old enough to see things crash really from you know 06 07 um or wasn't aware of it certainly old enough to have been paying better attention than I did but I think you know when I learned how to underwrite everything cap rate expansion was baked into an underwriting like the types of assumptions that you made I think we're a lot more conservative than the folks that had been able to buy stuff in the last three to five years. Um, I think there's going to be a, a, a greater kind of greater margin of safety um, 
implemented into most buyers' underwritings again. Um, maybe not, maybe not everybody, but um, that that seems likely. Um, I guess, kind of, well, that's also predicated on rates staying higher, right? Because you know, if rates drop again, people will probably get uh, aggressive again. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it sounds like maybe there's going to be, I don't want to put times on it, but almost a, a feeding frenzy on some of these deals that are going to go belly up or the potential for that. And then things will level off. Is that kind of what you're, you're thinking? Um, yeah. I mean, I. Depends on how many go belly up, obviously. But if, there, if there's, if there's, if there's, yeah. if there's a lot of in the water, there, there's going to be a lot of deals scooped up or changed hands potentially. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, but I don't, I think it'll be. I think it's likely to be in, in bulk. Um, and yeah. it's also like you're not, I think there's a handful of people, a handful of firms in every different market that's going to get an opportunity to go look at stuff. Some of those are like the largest firms that'll just, you know, go recap a bridge lender or something and take over a bunch of stuff. Like it's going to be, um, I, I think the other thing is like a lot of, a lot of like one-off groups and, and owners are, you know, are fine. Like and there's, they they're just gonna hold, you know. So yeah, it's hard to say there's gonna be like a total feeding frenzy because at some level there has to be like a forcing mechanism for that. Um but but yeah, I think I think you'll have I think you'll continue to have like very limited activity, then a flurry of activity, and then yeah, to your point, sort of some leveling off. Yeah. You said you got in 2010. What's the one thing you wish you would have known back then? You couldn't have possibly known, but you know now. Oh, man. A lot of things. <laughs> um, I, I guess, you know, I guess that cap rates would com- compress, you know, 250 to 300 bips mm. with, from the, uh, from like 2015 to 2020. I would have made some different, different, different decisions, but, um, yeah, I mean that. I, I, I you know, I, I, uh, I have a really specific memory of of underwriting a deal near the domain in Austin, and the the basis we were going to buy it at, and it was long term had kind of an option on some redevelopment, and I think we got second or third in the best and final, and didn't kind of step up to go hard on our uh, uh, hard on our earnest money deposit day one, and that deal has been an absolute home run for the people that bought it when we were looking at it. Um, and there's a whole lot of things they couldn't have known, but like at the same time, we had an opportunity to buy uh, really great out- real estate right next to the domain um, at a price that we felt pretty happy about and, and what it would have cost us to stretch, um, you know, probably wouldn't have made a difference on the deal either way. So I think that's, that's one thing that, you know, when you get those opportunities, and you think you have a lot of things that are structurally right, you know, but you're saying, well, I have to get this 15 IRR, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe be a little bit more honest with yourself about like, if you're at a 13, is that the end of the world, you know, but. Who in your space of commercial real estate does it better than you that you look up to that you follow? Um, <laughs> that we can look, that we can go follow. Like, Hey, I mean, <laughs> I don't, we're not, we're not in the exact same space, uh, um, I, but, but like the Fort Capital team guys, mm-hmm. like, I'm lucky to call Chris a, a friend. And I think he, um, the guy's just 
built an incredible team of people over there. And um, I think uh, just has, has had a lot of vision that not many people have had um, to, to build what he has. So that, I mean, that's definitely something I, I have a lot of admiration for folks that have built firms that I've like bumped into. Um, so the Stone Lake Capital, Riverside Resources are two, te- are two firms in Central Texas that they have done amazing work. Um, the Endeavor guys, I, I don't compete with the Endeavor guys or Stone Lake or Riverside. To be very clear, they're not my peers. They're kind of much ahead of me in company building. Um, but I, I admire what they've done. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think who else. I think some of those people are. Obviously, Chris is on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Trying to think of who else. Yeah. Um, pretty sure. Pretty sure one of the guys that's pretty out at Stone Lake is on Twitter. He doesn't t- tweet a ton, but he's he's out there. Okay. Um, what are you currently working on? How can people find you? And what's next after your current project? Um, I am. We're we're currently working on buying stuff in Laredo. So if anyone has uh, buildings they want to sell in Laredo or buildings that are. Uh, companies that own buildings they want to sell in Laredo. We're, we're looking at everything in Laredo that we can right now. Um, we are working on some land stuff there. Working on some land stuff in San Antonio as well for, for industrial and central Texas. So, I mean, kind of, you know, you, you know, our verticals of the land stuff, the kind of value add single tenant industrial stuff and then the, and the class A industrial stuff. So, continuing to do all those things in, in central and South Texas. Um, I'm, you know, we've got a website that's oktocap.com. Our, our contact info is on there. People want to reach out, feel free to. And then I'm at, uh, I'm at Texas Donut on, on Twitter. So. It's a great handle. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Josh, well, listen, it's been great uh, getting you on and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking real soon. Appreciate it, Ryan. Have a good one.